Hello and welcome everyone to episode 213 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I am James, joined by uh, Ryan and Paul as usual. Uh, sounds like interesting weekends for both of you, but how are y- y'all doing? Uh, doing okay. We, we, I was up visiting my folks in Milwaukee this weekend. Just got back like an hour ago. Just got my kids down to bed. Um, so I, I actually haven't even Holy. seen the Packer game yet. I listened to a little bit on the radio, but I'm going to have to revisit this one. And I'm not looking mm-hmm. forward to it because it sounds like it was kind of pa- I mean, they won by 17, but kind of painful. So yeah, Aaron um, was trash. That, the defense have that in my great. future. Yeah. So there you go. Everybody's hurt. Everybody's yeah, I saw, saw Rashawn Gary's look pretty bad, so that's it's not great. But I'm discompobulated to the extent that I actually opened the RAE rundown instead of the MK tailgate rundown. So let's pick that real quick so I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so how about the special teams? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Still bad. Oh, like the first thing I opened, so I opened up the wrong rundown. I opened up last week's reporting college rundown. First thing on it is, so Boharka still can't hold, which I think... Crosby, you know, if to my, kick again today. My, so my brain was go. like, well, yeah. that must be new because that happened today. <laughs> but but no, um, yeah, special teams still bad. But this is baseball. So let's I have the correct one. Yes. now. Let's talk yes. about baseball. Let's do that. All right. Uh, before we get started, we want to remind you all you can help support us and the reporting as eligible gang by becoming a patron. That's at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. As always, for two bucks a month, you can help us out. You'll get question priority both here and and on the Packers podcast, five bucks a month gets you some extra content. You get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible preview mini pods. He'll preview the game every single week and uh, plenty to talk about once Paul <laughs> watches that game uh, this upcoming week. So you'll want to stay tuned for that full podcast as well. Uh, but I guess on the Brewers side of things, we do have some interesting news. Uh, the Brewers have hitting coaches, plural now. Uh, they hired two new co-hitting coaches this week. They hired Ozzie Timmons from the Rays and Connor Dawson from the Mariners. Uh, it sounds like Timmons is the more traditional coaching background guy, uh, longtime veteran in that regard. While Dawson's younger, he's like 28, uh, brings more expertise on the technical side of things. Uh, team still uh, plans to hire an assistant hitting coach as well. So I guess, Ryan, we'll start with you. This approach is kind of new, but knowing you're a fan of the Giants front office and the way that they did things, they did this, and it seemed to work out pretty well for them. I guess, how how do you think the Brewers are going to do with this new approach of co-hitting coaches? Well, so long as they're not stepping on each other's toes and giving contradictory advice and ending up with all kinds of weirdness that way, then uh, it should be fine because, like you pointed out, the Giants had so many coaches last year. It's it, like people lost count in the Bay Area. The people who were beat writers. <laughs> it was just there were so many of them. And it is a big job. And it has become such a big job in part because of all the video and technical things that are available to uh, to be able to scout from looking at what the hitter themselves is doing to looking at what the pitchers are doing. And I wonder if there will be kind of a uh, not siloed off situation, but where uh, I would imagine that if one of them is going to be like the advanced guy, like the one who's coming up with uh, advanced scouting reports on guys, that seems like it might be more Dawson and Timmons being more of the maybe swing guru, but who knows? I, I would imagine that there's going to be plenty of crossover and cross pollination. And they're like you said, still going to be hiring another new guy. So 
you don't know until you see these guys work together exactly how it will play out. You would hope that they kind of did their due diligence here and got guys who are have a reputation for being collaborative and being willing to work together and not guys who are territorial because there are people that can be that way. And so they're going to need to work closely together. But it seems like a a good enough idea. And actually, I was just talking to James about this before you even got here, Paul. And I was kind of comparing this to remember when the Badgers first hired Brett Bielema and as the head coach and they brought in uh, co-defensive coordinators and it was Mike Hankowitz, who was the veterany guy who had been around forever. And then Dave Dorian, who was the up and coming guy and who ended up leaving fairly soon after to get his own head coaching gig, which I think he still has. I think he's still at NC State. And I kind of wonder if maybe that's the way this is headed, where uh, perhaps Dawson becomes the the head guy before too long because he does have not as much of a uh, traditional background, though he has been coaching for a while. Like he, I was reading something about him. He is known for doing push-ups for every or ten push-ups for every run the Rays score. Yeah, that's Timmons. Yeah, no, 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 that was. Oh, that no, was, was oh, that was, was Timmons. Never that mind. Was, oh, yeah, which is okay. insane and fun, but also yeah. <laughs> you know would fit right in with the Brewers and their fun-loving ways, right? But yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I just in terms of structure of organizations, I don't think that you need one person in charge of the hitting. So um, when you when you run into problems with splitting responsibilities, it, it's usually in an area where you do need some kind of executive to make a final decision. Uh, like it, it ultimately, for a lot of things, some guy needs to be in charge. Somebody needs to sign off on player acquisitions. Somebody needs to actually give the order of if even like it's a hit and run or not. Like that takes a person to do it. But uh, with coaching the hitting during the week, uh, th- that's not an executive function. You can have two people bring different things to the table, uh, and as long as they are like not giving directly contradictory advice in their coaching that's okay. You don't need a final sign-off here, and you actually have one if you do, uh, that being the manager of the team. So, um, you know, there, there's somebody who is in charge of the coaches when push comes to shove, and if you have different aspects and can break down hitting into um, smaller units that that take, you know, different mindsets, this is a perfectly fine thing to do, and I do think that you can make a good argument that is the case with something like hitting the ball. Um, there is a, a tactics and a strategy to it, and those are two different things. So um, I'm I'm in favor of things like this. I think it's a progressive organizational way to think about it, and I don't see any reason why it wouldn't work well. Um, so I, I think it's a good forefront Brewers move, as as they usually do. Right, and you could do a lot worse than hiring the guy who's been the hitting coach for the Rays for like the past decade, right? Like they've pretty consistently put out some pretty good offensive output and in, in that kind of thing. So seems like he would know what he's doing and uh as long, it, as, long as it doesn't have anything to do with the batter's eye then i think yeah that's true that's true <laughs> as far as i know willie adamas didn't have any issues with ozzy timmons just the batter's eye at the drop so uh there is that to factor into but uh, we did get one patreon question about this uh the, the new hires and the new hitting coach situation comes from PJ Wessels. He's asking, is having three hitting coaches akin to having two quarterbacks, where if you have more than one, you really have none? I guess, uh, Ryan, your, your your thoughts on that. Or do you think, like you said, that the more collaborative approach, the more eyes on a problem, the better here? Yeah, as long as they've already sort of delineated who is going to be responsible for what and how exactly all that's going to work. 
it shouldn't be too big a problem uh, from a like too many cooks in the kitchen standpoint, I guess. So I have fingers crossed that they they did their due diligence and made sure that these guys were going to probably work well together. Yep. But I also I don't I don't care for that quarterback analogy. And it, when it so it's it's literally true when usually when people are playing two quarterbacks, it's because they both suck and they're trying to find out which one sucks worse. But there's all kinds of instances of teams having two good quarterbacks and having it go either fine or eventually just one of them like Joe Montana and Steve Young will just one of them moving on. I mean, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers were on the same team for a while and Brett Favre had uh, one excellent season and then Aaron Rodgers took over and again, totally fine. There's nothing wrong with having two quarterbacks. And if you have two good ones, it works out very well for you and can, in fact, push your team into having another decade of of consistent contention. So um, that's what you're looking for is to, to get talented people who can complement each other and, and drive you know more success than just having one guy with one set of rules and one, uh, you know, there's some there's some something to be said for having some diversity in your style, too. And if you have one person at the top. It puts them at a risk on your team by virtue of the fact that there's not always somebody pushing back on them. So um, it's good to have some some give and take, and this should be fine. Yeah, I mean, the Brewers definitely needed to, to try something different after the last few go-arounds, right? So uh, thinking outside the box probably should be encouraged in this case. And we'll see who that assistant hitting coach is, too. But, uh, you know, knowing the Brewers, probably somebody who fits along the same lines and philosophy so uh we'll see who that is um pj also had a second question here that we should probably fit in because i didn't have it anywhere else but josh Hader won his third reliever of the year award three out of four years devin williams of course won it last year <laughs> so the brewers on pretty good run here uh but pj is asking does josh Hader winning his third reliever of the year award make it easier or harder to trade him paul your thoughts on that <laughs> um uh, it it doesn't have any impact. The the reason to trade Josh Hader at this point is more just about age and and cost, and the odds of him getting hurt, the odds of any pitcher getting hurt go up as time goes on, especially relief pitchers. But um, I'll say this for Josh Hader: relief pitchers are generally very inconsistent, and um, there's a very select few at the top of the position, guys like Mariano Rivera who are consistently good, most are not. And I think we can say at this point, Hader is one of those guys. He is just a consistently dominant reliever. And as long as he's healthy, which he has been, you can count on him to be one of the best relievers in baseball. Um, most pitchers are not that. Uh, most flop in and outs and have down years and bad years and whatnot. And that's good consistency. Uh, honestly, um, we should praise Josh Hader who has long held the profile where people are like, oh, that arm's going to explode. He's going to need Tommy John. Um, hasn't happened. He's been there every year and he's been dominant every year. So um, I, I don't think it impacts trade. That's really just an age thing and a cost thing. But like it, it he's in a, he's an asset. He, it's not like, uh, you know, he's good. He's going to be good. If they trade him and he stays healthy, he'll be good for the team that they trade him to. So I guess that makes him a little harder to part with. But uh, that's that's kind of the only thing you can derive this from this information. Yeah, so first off, totally agree on the idea that this doesn't impact it at all. The reliever award is especially weird. They're all kind of weird, but the reliever <laughs> award is especially weird. And so just like it's fun. It's nice. But I don't think any team is weighing that at all in their calculations for 
like how they would value him or yeah, how they I mean, would everybody knows yeah. he's the best reliever in baseball right so it, right. it's not like he needs the trophy to prove it and but. i did want to push back a little bit on what paul said because in one sense you're right because the floor on what he's done i, I mean i guess he had a 379 era in 2020 and a 403 fip so he was actually he it was a legitimately down year for him though that probably had more to do with just some some weird timing things, small yeah. sample twenty twenty you know, season thing. But if you look at his FIPS throughout the years, starting in 2018, when he had really gotten established, we'd even go back because 2017 is an even bigger sample size than 2020. You go and look and it's 303, three, or 223, 310, 403, and then 169 this year. There's plenty of variation in there. It's just that the 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 floor on his bad seasons is so high yep. that like it, it sort of doesn't matter. But it it is illustrative of the point that relievers are inconsistent, and even Josh Hader kind of fits within that bucket of being somewhat inconsistent. It's just that the you know the baseline is so good that it it kind of doesn't matter. But you you also I, the biggest point, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, so I'm not going to belabor it. But relievers do tend to get hurt. All pitchers do tend to get hurt, but yeah. relievers especially, and guys who have a, a heavy workload at a young age like Josh Hader has, because you're looking at a guy who, for a reliever, you know this was his age 27 season, and in the majors he already has almost 300 innings pitched. That's you know a heftyish workload for a reliever. It is. I, I do want to add, I think at least some of that variance, um, some of those down years are also pretty related to the composition of the baseball. Because when Hader has given up runs, they are almost always home runs. Um, right. And mm-hmm. so that, that really does drive his variance. With a more normal baseball, I think you're, you, can, you can count on him to be quite a bit better than his, his worst seasons. Yeah, and we know that 20... Uh that 2018 was a kind of a dead ball year within the uh, within the scope of how these things have gone lately. And 2019 was definitely a bouncy ball year. So, yeah, definitely. I guess on the topic of trades, uh, Brewers made one <laughs> this past weekend. Uh, they kind of keep that raise connection going. You know, obviously they hire Ozzy Timmons and traded for Willie Adamas earlier this year. So there seems to be a pretty good uh, working relationship there or some, uh, similar philosophies at play, but uh, they traded for a utility infielder. They acquired Mike Brousseau for a minor league relief arm, Evan Reifert. Uh, Evan Reifert was, I believe, in single A this past year, Ryan. Am I correct on that? Uh, I don't know offhand. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose well, I could look that. that up, but yeah, uh, no. No. Uh, so... The point being, he he was kind of a low level low level relief arm, uh, put up some pretty good strikeout numbers, but again, kind of getting a little old for the level. And you know, Brewers can turn those guys out like it's nothing. So giving someone like him up for a big league player probably seems like a decent deal. Uh, Brousseau has options left; he can take over that role, <laughs> sort of previously filled by Chase Ooh, Peterson. Options uh, guy. Yep. So at, and. You better believe it that David Stearns mentioned that right away when he was talking about the trade. Uh, so he's got plenty of options. He can play everywhere. He's basically Jace Peterson. That doesn't cost a million dollars. So probably buy Jace Peterson this offseason. Uh, if you ever heard of him at all, he's maybe maybe uh, 
most well known for getting hit in the head by a pitch by Heraldus Chapman in 2020. And then later in the year, he hit a game-winning home run against him in the playoffs. So we love people who do things against Heraldus Chapman, so I already like him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess if you're looking at his numbers last year, he struggled a bit. He has a career 106 OPS plus in the majors, though, which is not bad considering he was not drafted at all. So all of that said, Ryan, I guess how do we like him in that super utility role is there upside here, or is he just kind of a guy, do you think? Well, no, this is the sternsiest of acquisitions. First off, if you look at his B-Ref page, you will notice that uh, he's listed as a second baseman, comma, third baseman, comma, first baseman. <laughs> so yeah, multi-positional multi uh, ability, check. Uh, the option <laughs> part, check. check. So he's he's already checking off a lot of the major boxes here. And also, he is a lefty masher. And I knew this was going to get Paul excited here. So um, he is a guy that has a career 851 OPS against left-handed pitching. Lefties. Love and, it. Love it. And uh, against righties, uh, 619. So uh, don't have him really hit <laughs> against righties when it matters. That would be the lesson there. So, but yeah, he, he has some utility. He has some use. And they will be able to... Uh, put him in in moments and in situations where it uh, behooves them to have a right-handed bat and a, a guy who can crush lefties. And I think that this probably is a, a good indicator that uh, they plan on going forward with uh, the rowdy situation at first base, as is. And yeah, I, there's nothing to get too particularly excited about here. But when you take into account all of the facts that we already laid out and the yep. fact that Craig counsels your manager, you know, he's going to be put in good situations when it matters more often than not, almost all of the time. Yep. You bought skills. Your manager just has to not be dumb about them and you can get good value out of a guy like this. And that's what they have. And that's what they do. We do have one Patreon question about this trade comes from Jay Google. Of course, uh, he's asking, <laughs> does the trade make it less likely that they try and bring back Eduardo Escobar? Uh, he's a right-handed bat that can play third base and first base, as we said, good versus lefties. Or is he just a bench bat? I guess, Paul, does this have any bearing on maybe other plans with Escobar or anybody else, do you think? Uh, oh, so maybe the tiniest bit. Um, here's the thing. I think that if Eduardo Escobar's cost is reasonable, that they would still happily have him back. And that fact was that that fact existed before the trade, and it still exists now because He's still a versatile guy with some pop uh, who can play across the infield, and they basically never say no to those guys. Um, and they're familiar with him, so um, I, you know I think it's it's sort of a it, we got this covered if we don't get a guy to fill that role or kind of have it covered. We have some ha have it half covered, but I, I I still think they'll be looking for somebody along the lines of Eduardo Escobar to sign to the team. And there's a lot of guys like him out there. It's just a matter of where chips fall and where value falls. So, so no, um, but you know, a tiny bit, a little bit, um, that that's it. Like, like 0.01%. That, that's all. So he's the new Ryan Healy. Is <laughs> oh boy. What we're talking about. here, I... And I don't mean that in a mean way. Ryan Healy well, got, okay. <laughs> Playoff, playoff started Ryan Healy. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> that was because everybody was hurt and everything was going to hell and all that. The thing is. Ryan Healy was brought in by the Brewers because they 
sense that there was a chance that they could get a certain role out of him like this early in the offseason. They pulled the trigger on it. And then what happened was they made a bunch of other moves that basically made Ryan Healy superfluous. And so he spent basically his entire time with the Brewers in the minor leagues because they just didn't need him. So there is every chance that they find somebody better to do this. Remember, this is all a numbers game for them. They want to bring in as many guys who could potentially play a useful role as possible, arrange the roster such that they have as many of these guys available to them at any given time, and then they let it play out however it's going to play out. You know, they they give guys the opportunities when they have them and when they've earned them. Right. And so we don't know exactly how that's going to shape up in the long term for them. But he is a, a, a low cost option. They didn't give up much to get him. They're not paying him much of anything. And he has minor league options. So they're not really wed to him in any particular way. They they just have him now as an option, somebody that potentially could be a guy for them. And we'll just see if that opportunity presents itself and if he takes advantage of it. Sure. And, you know, worst case, they have depth at the upper level of the minors for if or when an injury occurs. So uh, just a decent depth piece to have around. And, you know, as we saw, those always come into hand, uh, come in handy over the course of a season. So uh, probably hard to have too much of a feeling on that trade other than that. He's sort of just a guy, but who could provide something down the line. Uh you know, we had that trade came out of the GM meetings in the last week. Uh, some news coming out of there as well. Of course, New York writers had nothing else to write about because they don't really have a GM. So they spent the week writing about <laughs> David Stearns again. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but uh, in terms of actual things that happened, David Stearns did talk, uh, kind of addressed those rumors a little bit, but focused more on the baseball side of things. And he actually said he's open to doing something Ryan's been hoping he's going to do. And that's listen to (laughs) offers on pitching. Uh, He had a quote here on MLB.com. I'll just read it off really quick from Adam McCauley's article. He said, quote, when you have the depth we have and people know you have the depth we have, it yields conversations and people call. It's natural to have those conversations. I'm certain those conversations will progress throughout the off season. Really tough to trade on pitching, but we have to listen and see if there's something that makes sense. So I guess, Paul, a lot of GM speak there. He didn't really say much other than <laughs> conversation a lot. Uh, do, does this give you any feeling at all, or do you think no. he'll actually listen? So he will, but this is, you're right, it's GM speak. It's trying to avoid saying what, what they always say, which is that, well, we're open to any deal. It depends on what the return is. And, you know, we don't close off any options. And I think um, when most organizations say that it can be lip service, it's not with the brewers. And I think that they get asked this question kind of a lot and just don't want to give the same rote answer every time. That's all this is. It's it's a strung out. Um, yeah, we'll listen no matter what. We have strength here and we'll if we get good value back, so be it. That's great. But it, it's nothing special. And it's what all front offices should be all the time. Like, but essentially, nobody should be untouchable. I mean, there's... There's people you practically won't get value for, um, but you should never have. You should never be closed off from options because that's how you get stagnant, and that's that's how you, you fall back. So that's all this answer is: is yeah, we're open. Of course, we're open to it. If we get a good offer, or if we see somebody we like that we have to move some, a piece for, we'll do it. So that's it. Yeah, I would agree, kind of down the line with that, and 
this is how they do business. They are just willing to listen and be open to whatever. I, I do think they will end up moving a pitcher. I have no idea who that's going to be and how exactly that's going to play out. But uh, we, I guess I, I would put money on somebody who is a pitcher who fans would consider a good, useful pitcher being traded away this season to bring in something that they need. Yeah, I'd put money on Hater if I had any money left o- over from putting money on Hater. So. <laughs> Keep doing it for two years, you'll eventually hit. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I agree with you, Ryan. If they do, it'll be something that a decent portion of the fan base is going to be a little pissed off about, right? <laughs> like, yep. I think you're going to have a decent amount of that. I can't believe they're giving this guy away for whatever it is, you know? But, uh, you know, Paul and Ryan, both of you have said you've got to trade good to get good, right? And yep. if if their status as a team right now, they're bringing back the vast majority of a playoff team, a team that won their division pretty easily. And we saw in the playoffs, they really need to find those impact players. And it's hard to get that without giving up impact players. Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, I guess we'll see what that is, but we're going to have to keep that in mind when they swing a trade out of nowhere, because that's just the way David Stern's rules too. We're not going to see it coming, and we're not going to expect who it is. So I, I don't know. It, it's going to be a long off season, potentially. So we're going to have a lot of this to talk about. Uh, although maybe not that much after December first, still probably go quiet for a while, right? Uh, but yeah, uh, we'll we'll see how the next few weeks play out for sure. Especially, you know, we're we're starting to see some rumors too that some top end free agents might want to sign before that lockout too, which. Yep. I guess I can't blame them. (laughs) Um, All right. I guess I I mentioned it before, but we do have a question on the ongoing David Stern's Met saga. Aside from our rants the last couple of weeks, uh, we have Adam Post. He's asking if the Brewers did ever trade David Stern's to the Mets, what level of return would be realistic? Ryan, I guess (laughs) what what would you want to see in return if there was some sort of deal to let him out of that contract early? Yeah, so I have uh, a specific deal I'm going to look at in just a minute, but I want to kind of take a few steps backwards first and talk about what actually happened here, because I think that there's more smoke to this fire right now than Brewer fans maybe realize. And I think that the odds are pretty rapidly shifting towards Stearns not being with the Brewers by the end of this winter, if not sooner. And I so this all comes out of a report from the athletics, Tim Britton, Britt Giroli, and Ken Rosenthal. So this isn't coming out of New York writers. This is coming out of national people. And basically what they said is that the Mets have decided they're going to hire some rando uh, to be the GM and to do that job. And the details have even gotten out that they're like looking at people who specialize in basically AGM duties. So people that are good with, you know, contracts and mm-hmm. do, like that kind of stuff that they're looking basically to hire an assistant GM to be the, I guess, head of the baseball ops department. But really, everybody knows it's going to be Sandy Alderson running things until mm-hmm. they get their man in David Stearns. And there's a funny note here in MLB trade rumors, which is really funny. 
Um, they said that uh, New York will approach Stearns about their front office vacancy next winter when his contract with the Brewers may or may not be up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of perfect because nobody knows. Like, nobody knows. No. There's not, there, it's known there's an option, right? But not whose it is. Isn't well, no. It, it's believed to be the Brewers option, which is weird that that would exist. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but nobody knows is the point, And this keeps going on. It's like I tweeted earlier in the week. The the year is 2049, and the Mets believe they can get David Stearns if they wait one more year. You know, like, this has been going on for, like, three years at this point. It has, but if they're serious about that and if they've let it be known, which apparently they're being quite open about the fact that they're going to wait for Stearns, uh, if Stearns is interested and there is uh, some note that he is interested – even though he does go and say he's happily employed with the Brewers and mm-hmm. blah, 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 all of the, the standard normal stuff. But apparently he is actually interested. So what this comes down to is this. If you can't get an extension done with David Stearns right now, then you move on. Because yep. the last thing that you want is a lame duck GM who is making decisions for the long term uh, uh, for your franchise without having any plans to be there. If he has decided that he is going to be done after this contract, you you cut your losses and you you trade him away. Do you agree with that, Paul? Absolutely, um, because that is him telling you, uh, "I'm going to be on the Mets next year." If he can't work out an extension, it means he wants to go somewhere else. So at that point, you you get value for him <laughs> if you can. Um, no sense letting him go for free. And also, this is all fine, by the way. David Stern is under no obligation to enter into an extension or stick around. And if he wants another job in New York, that's totally fine. But it, you know, if the Brewers can leverage that into something, also totally fine. Um, though unfortunate that David Stearns won't be the one doing the trading, presumably, because <laughs> that wouldn't work. But, uh, but yeah, and I mean, it's all right in front of you. It's all very transparent. I kind of like this whole thing because it is so transparent. Like the Mets are just like basically openly saying, okay, we're just going to wait for him to come free. And, you know, that's fine. And you know, every, everything, all cards are on the table here. So we'll know exactly what's happening very early on in the process as soon as it's clear on whether he's coming back or, you know, extended or optioned or whatever. Well, and I think that we could also kind of read into the tea leaves a little bit here that the fact that they that Matt Arnold turned down the chance to even talk to the Mets yep. and just decided to take an extension with the Brewers mm-hmm. means he's probably getting the feeling that running the baseball ops department of the Brewers is probably not too far in right. the future for him. Correct. So yeah. he probably he sees would, that upward mobility there for sure. Mm-hmm, I would think so. And that's good. I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, so moving on to the second part of this question which is, or actually, I guess the, the main part of the question that they asked <laughs> is, what can you get for it? The, the thing that we have to look at here is the Theo Epstein deal. When Theo Epstein was traded from the Red Sox to the Cubs, it was a fairly similar situation in that he had decided to leave, but he still had a year left on his contract, and he wanted to go do something different. He decided his, you know, his run with the Red Sox was over. He had larded up their payroll with all kinds of bad contracts that, for, you know, fortunately for them, they were able to just like unload to the Dodgers in one fell swoop um, when uh, ownership in the uh, in Los Angeles changed. But anyway, the guys that were traded for um, uh, 
<laughs> the guys that were traded for Theo Epstein were Chris Carpenter, not that Chris Carpenter, a, a guy who is a reliever who never turned in anything. There's a third Chris Carpenter? <laughs> yeah. <they're... laughs> Too many um, Chris Carpenter die. Ooh, wait yeah. a second, though. Apparently, he actually did pitch in the big leagues. I, I did lie. Hmm. Okay. Uh, career 517 ERA in 2011 and 2012. So he... Uh, Maybe yeah. there's only two then, because I was definitely thinking of a lesser guy who was in the... Ma- there might only be two. I, w- I will confirm, though, while, while we talk. Yeah, find find how many Chris's Carpenter there are. And then Aaron Kurz, who... Let's take a look here. Uh, also, um, wait. Oh. He You've never, never heard of him ne- is the point. Never never pitched in the majors. <laughs> yeah. There is a nice picture of him here with uh, the A's, but it would appear never pitched in the majors. And then um, Jair Bogarts, Xander's little brother, uh, mm-hmm. was also traded in this deal. So uh, I think oh. that the takeaway for this is that nothing. <laughs> don't expect you get. yeah don't expect impact here i heard some people say we'll take dom smith for him guys that's that's not happening no. <laughs> that's, that's not how this is gonna work <laughs> it will be people you haven't heard of which might not be the worst thing in the world because remember when the brewers traded uh uh adam lind for people yeah. that you've never heard of and that's the one time that's worked out, but we yeah, keep bringing I mean, it, it up. It does. It does happen. You, yeah. you, if you, yeah. if you target the certain point guys, is a lottery ticket. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, quick confirming, there are three Chris Carpenters. Um, however, I was thinking of the same Chris Carpenter that Ryan was mentioning just as a major leaguer, but there is, there was a minor league Chris Carpenter. Who's not the other two played in 2002 for the Reds or the, yeah, the Reds franchise. So, yep, we got three. So there are many Chris's Carpenter, which many makes Chris's sense because I mean yeah. that name is, um, you know, pretty generic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess Paul, your thoughts on possibly trading David Stearns? Optimistic I'm just gonna, at all? <laughs> not really. I mean, I'll, I'll go with Ryan on this, and I, I agree with that. Like, it, nobody knows what the market. I mean, we have we have the one data point with Theo, but it, it's really. Um, undefined so uh, to some extent the Mets have uh, here's the the one reason I think they might get more than you might think um, is that the Mets are really all in on this like (laughs) if yeah if if they were they'll still get him I think if even if the Brewers don't get value back but like if there's any indication that things would go screwy for them it would be very embarrassing so uh, I think the and they're the Mets, so of and course. they're the Mets, yeah. So you got to expect that that happens. <laughs> um, now uh, uh, leverage still is not there because if, if the Brewers do nothing, his contract will end and he'll go sign with the Mets for free. So there's that in the background. But um, I would say like you got some potential for egg on your face if things go screwy, and with the Mets things go screwy a lot, and you don't want to mess this up. So um, you don't get you, they won't get much. But uh, the Brewers are an organization that will turn the screws a little bit and. I wouldn't be surprised if they wind up with something halfway decent, but but not great. You're like you're not getting you're not getting stars. Like that's not going to happen. So don't think it will. I think the messiest outcome here would be if the Brewers granted them permission to talk to David Stearns and he decides nah, and then yeah. after this three year ordeal, they get nothing at all, and that's the egg on the face. It's right? not like that's impossible. I right. mean, the Mets have driven people away before. That is, or. The other thing you have to be wary of if you're the Mets is other better jobs coming open. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there's not necessarily one projected to be out there, but some strange things happen sometimes. And, you know, hypothetically, what if the Yankee job randomly right. became open for some reason? Don't expect Cashman's to. been there 25 Cashman's years. Cashman's been there a long time. Um, would would David Stearns maybe prefer to go to the Yankees and their giant, huge budgets? And I, mean, I don't know, maybe. So you got to be a little bit wary about stuff like that happening and you can't mess around too much. Yeah, yeah I agree. I also think there's a non-zero chance that after all of this, David Stearns does go to the Mets and, you know, they've built up this anticipation after two or three years and he's just kind of another meh front office guy for them because they're the Mets and things just go tragically wrong for them all the time. <laughs> I don't want to see it. You know, I, I love David Stearns. I want to see him do well wherever he goes, you know, but th- that's also in the realm of possibility too. That's the chance he takes in, you know, rolling the dice on that job. So I don't know. Uh, we'll see what happens. And hopefully he's here at least through the winter. Unlike Ryan, who seems to think he's got one foot out the door already. Well, I mean, the the moral hazard here is a problem. You worry about a guy yeah. who has one foot out the door, not. And it, I'm not even saying that David Stearns would do shady things that he would do. No, right. That he would like intentionally like make mistakes that screw the brewers over or whatever. It's more just like if he is not fully committed to the job for the for the foreseeable future, it's, there's just a level of investment there that, you know, it's human nature. Right. If your future is somewhere else, you don't stay mm-hmm. late at work. That That is just right how, how people operate it's 100 true it's it's not a it's not even really a moral failing it's just rational behavior and it's why you don't let people stay lame ducks too long um but but yeah you do have to worry about that because this is a job that takes a lot of effort and if the motivation for that extra effort disappears gms start doing worse jobs pretty quickly yeah and we've talked about it before too you also want to do right by your employees right that so too. uh you know if you realize this is something that he wants you'll work out a deal like we talked about right so and and then you know you you get the added benefit of being noticed as a good place to work somebody who does right by their employees treats them well gives them opportunities even if they're not there that has a benefit too so We'll see how that goes, but we know Mark Adonacio has kind of been reluctant, especially when it comes to big markets coming calling for his guys. So uh, the saga will go on, and I'm sure we'll get more questions about this next week when more articles pop up. (laughs) Um, I guess uh, the other thing that kind of came out over the week that we should talk about, uh, because December's coming up quick here, is the start of CBA negotiations and kind of the public negotiating back and forth. We had a proposal leak out in the last week that I, I can see Paul is tickled pink to talk about. Uh, we got a Patreon question from Jay Google about it. What are your thoughts on MLB proposing using Fangraphs war for arbitration processes? Obviously, uh, this could go wrong in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> they're such assholes. Um, and <laughs> so when you when you make your initial proposal, you don't want the other side to take it. That means you did a bad job. You, you know, it's your aggressive put forth, but you at least want to address the things that matter to you, and um, you want to sort of indicate what where the talking points are going to be and set your spot there. Um, this is this is stupid nonsense, and including it is like just picking a fight. Um, so the issue that it allegedly addresses is the is arbitration causing more or less hurt feelings and the owners don't like our 
the funny thing here is, first of all, the owners don't like arbitration because they don't have control over the outcome. And that's stupid because arbitration is still a great deal for the owners. They still end mm-hmm. up paying far below market value. And it's it's stupid, greedy. To, they should all embrace the hell out of it. They're very good at arbitration. And um, it, it is still a suppression of salary. But aside from that, um, there have, you know, jo- think about Josh Hader's complaints about arbitration and about how the stats, he didn't like how the stats were used to kill his salary. He didn't like being, you know, um, all the negative things that happened in arbitration being put in front of him. And most baseball players and professionals about this understand that that's just how it goes. Not all of them are. Um, this is addressing those problems. That's that's what this is for. It is, okay, this is an objective metric. Um, it's not calling you a shitty pitcher. It is just going to be decided that this is how you pitched and this is what you'll get paid based on what we plug into this formula. Um, it, and it's also a, a means of um, getting rid of arbitration. And, uh, you know, there's an algorithm involved. You got to be very, you got to be cagey about algorithms because it's easy to manipulate them. Um that's and it's just shady as hell to look at this. So um, it, it, it's a stupid idea. Um, <laughs> war is war is not meant for this purpose. Uh, but it was specifically Fangraphs war, which mm-hmm. now I have all kinds of questions of like, so did you guys run simulation? How did how did you decide on Fangraphs right. war? Did you take them all and run like numbers and figure out what was going to save you the most money? And if that's the case. Should we all stop using Fangraphs War because it's not player friendly? <laughs> Maybe I don't know, um, but uh, it, it's a st- so it, it addresses a problem that's not there. It is trying to screw them on arbitration further, and th- just on a statistical basis, like uh, War is there as a tool, and War is honestly was, so we talk about people like having three point seven War. That point seven is nonsense. War isn't precise enough to have decimal points. And all of the people who make war will tell you that war is not precise enough to have decimal points. You can't have a system handing out money based on a stat that combines like 10 other stats to the 10th place. That's stupid. It's re- it, it, it. We talked last <laughs> week about Wade Miley's like war being six points different from baseball prospectus right? and graphs war. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so it's it is a I'm picking a fight proposal. It solves no problems. It is a it's basically telling them like we don't like arbitration. We don't like how this goes. We're going to try and get rid of it. Here's our very stupid first proposal for getting rid of it. Maybe when we make a slightly less stupid proposal that still screws you, you'll go for it. That's what this is. That's what they're doing. Okay, so I'm going to build off of this because I think it's even worse than what you're talking about because <laughs> So you mentioned last week, I think it was last week, you talked about how there's all these hidden salary caps within baseball. Yeah. This would be another one. Um, Let me explain. So the way that this would work is that there would be an agreed upon pot of money and it would be divvied up by every player who was in this, whatever they decided it was. And the owners don't even care. Like the owners could not care less about how this money is divvied up because they're all putting the money in based on whatever. And then it's... uh, it goes out to the players uh, collectively based on, you know, they, they, I think from their perspective, they couldn't care less if it was, uh, if it was <laughs> Fangraphs war or whatever war, because it's going to be a set amount of money. And then the players are going to divvy it up and they don't care how the players are going to divvy it up. Like that doesn't, 
I I think there might be they might I take that back they might actually care a little bit because of the impacts it could have down the road once guys get to free agency and what differing amounts of money would mean for that but yep basically what this would do it, it would operate as a salary cap over this specific class of players and the that gives the ownership cost certainty that they would love and it also keeps it where then any expansion of that will have to be agreed upon by owners and players and owners are always going to like win those battles and keep it yep. suppressed down. This is the same problem that we've seen in the NBA and the NFL, where once you have a salary cap, the owners have this extra leverage to be able to keep it down. And it, the salaries do not grow the same way that they would grow under arbitration, because as screwed up as that situation is, and it is total nonsense on so many different levels it still does allow for salary growth in a way that players i mean if you if you've been following along long enough uh you'll know that it was this huge massive deal that uh that Ryan Howard got like 10 million dollars in his first year of of arbitration because yep, right. he was a uh he was an mvp basically mm-hmm. well it, that would be peanuts now the the guys who do the best in arbitration are getting you know well into the 20s at this point um, so it, the, there is growth in arbitration that would not be allowed for under this system. So that's why the owners would want it. And I think it's, it is a non-starter for the players and they're not happy about it. But I think that ownership is going to try to do this stuff and try to find ways to, to make this happen. And the players are going to have to stay united and, try to avoid some of it because there will be players who will look at some of these things positively. Uh, I'm not sure exactly who and what situations, but <laughs> there will be, there will be breaking apart of the resolve of, of the players. And yeah, w- you know, we'll just have to see how long it takes and, and kind of who blinks first on all that. Yeah. The owners have been trying for an NFL style salary cap for a long time where they have cost certainty on what the players are splitting up. They tried to do it actually as part of the COVID deal, and the players said, no, we're never doing that. Um, and this is just a mini version of that. Uh, the other thing that's worth keeping an eye on, uh, Travis Sachek had a very nice uh, thread the other day on how the middle class of baseball salaries has essentially disappeared, that it really is a stars and scrubs league. And that um, is not good for player solidarity. It really does put two sides against each other to a large extent. Uh, and both sides would probably do themselves quite a bit of favors to um, focus in negotiations on getting more money for for the middle um, than it currently exists. And that Stars and Scrubs thing happens right now primarily because of um, like the uh, the six year rule um, and people losing a lot of their primes, uh, their best productive years to the cost controlled portion of the baseball pseudo salary cap. So. Um, th- they should be passing those charts around players' association meetings because they're they speak uh, they speak volumes about the current situation. Well, and this is nowhere near as insidious as some of the other stuff that ownership has proposed. The biggest one was, "Hey, we'll just set an age for free agency, and it's going to be twenty nine <laughs> yeah. and a half, and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. which means because they yeah. damn well know that guys like well Fernando Tatis and Ronald Acuna and 
now Wander Franco, the best players come up very young. Vladdy Jr., yeah. the best players yeah. come up really young. And, yep. of course, teams would really love to get the 20s of those guys uh, under some sort of cost control situation and then let them become free agents at 30 once it you know the the dying or the the decline phase of the career is going to start so that is absolutely a non-starter because it is cutting the wings off of the the players who have the most potential to grow salaries within the game and the yep. ones who are the most deserving of it and it's intentionally yeah. screwing them over the most yeah if you if you're setting that if you want the age limit which I think is a legitimate thing to bargain on. You 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 can go with that and say, hey, let's do free agency at an age limit. Our proposal is twenty nine, and then you can go back and forth on that and figure out where you want it. Um, that's okay to do. Making it twenty nine and a half is just to screw you. Um, that is a we don't want a deal. This is just us poking you and making you angry. Like you don't need the half in there. That's stupid. Don't do that. Um, bad. Ju- I mean, they they have a they have a plan here, so I'm not going to say bad job attorneys, <laughs> but uh, it, it's not bad a proposal. Faith. Yeah, it's not a proposal that wants to get a deal done. Mm-mm. No, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that these couple of things here are are a pretty good sign that the owners are intending to just lock everyone out in December. They're not serious, at least not yet. You know, they're just throwing this out there to say that they've made an offer that they're trying and it's the players who have already rejected something right it's all pr spin well and it's stuff that will play well with fans who are still loyal to ownership for some god unknown reason it's it's the kind of stuff that plays well with those people so there's like from a pr perspective uh anytime you start talking about limiting salaries and whatever that that is catnip to a certain a certain sort Mm -hmm. sure and I think you you have small market fans too, right? Like mm-hmm. obviously we cheer for the Brewers, but uh, there's going to be a lot of Brewer fans who are like, "Hey, it'd be cool to have Hedbert Perez in the majors for ten years." You know, you're not <laughs> wrong. Be great, but yep. yeah, it, it'd be fun to see that. But also, it probably wouldn't be fair to the player. By so. the way, really quick, if you're if you're somebody who is pro baseball owner, like uh, I un- I understand if you're like a, biz- a small business owner or somebody like that. that and you just side with ownership because you have employees that maybe you know you're not super fond of that they take too long of breaks whatever whatever you got going on there i get that i do get that but in this one instance you should keep in mind that the baseball owners are not normal owners this is not a free market they're in a union they're an owners union it's the antitrust exemption they get to collude like they get to cheat they get to do things you don't get to do in your business to screw over their players and this is the like if you're an anti-union person this is the one instance where it's just fair. Like, whatever. If, if you view the union as giving employees power over you that you don't think they should have, okay, fine. But in this instance, it's not true because the owners have a union and the players have a union. So um, don't side with the billionaires here who have abused United States law and the Supreme Court to have an antitrust exemption that doesn't exist in the rest of society. Um it, don't do that. Be on the player's side. They're the they're the correct side here. There is a correct and an incorrect side here. All right. Sorry. End of rant. No. Yeah. We're gonna have all winter to to rant about this, Paul. So yeah. Save save some bullets for later. We're uh-huh. we're fine. <laughs> all right. Uh, we do have a Twitter question too to get to. A reminder: you can send us questions on Twitter as well. That's at mke tailgate on Twitter. We have one from Mark Potscarby. Excuse me. He's asking, what are the odds that Luis Urias repeats his success from last season? Ryan, did you see anything that gives you hope that 
you know, this power surge sticks around. Sure. I mean, this was something that has been a while in the making for him. This was something that he was doing uh, as early as in 2019 in AAA. He had started to modify his swing for more power. And this was something he did not with the Brewers. So we don't have to worry about the the dread uh, uh, <laughs> Keston Hura swing change stuff here <laughs> that he was he was doing this before we even got to that point. And I mean, the thing is, the guy's 24 years old and has this long track record of being, you know, I've, I've talked about it so many times on here that it's a running gag. The idea that you know people put an 80 on <laughs> 80 his hit, hit tool. tool. Yeah, the 80 on yep. his hit tool. You know, take a drink. drink. Yeah. So it's uh, it's one of those things where I, I don't think uh, there's any reason to suspect that a, a fall off is coming, that this will that this will bounce back the other direction other than the fact that just baseball is really hard and hitting is especially really hard. And who knows what the, the future is going to hold for anybody, because I wouldn't have bet on Keston Hero completely forgetting how to hit after 2019 either. So. But there, there. I don't think is any particularly good reason to think that uh, that this would be a problem. And if you look at just sort of the overall numbers here, he's not a huge strikeout guy. Uh, 116 strikeouts and 570 plate appearances. So we're not talking about a massive amount of strikeouts here. Uh, in fact, that's under 20. percent So it's it's solidly below the league average in terms of strikeouts. And he walks uh, yeah, 63 times, so a very reasonable clip there in terms of walks. So I I guess I, I just don't see any particularly good reason to expect him to fall off. Yeah. Um, 24-year-olds are more likely to improve. Uh, you know, if this was a breakout season from a 28-year-old guy, we would see regression to the mean from a guy who has... OPS is in the 70s coming into the season, but this is Urias is a development player. Breakouts are good things, and he might not repeat exactly what he did here. He might not hit 23 bombs again. Seems like a lot for a guy like him, but he also might. And here's the thing: he has uh, he has 48, 49 extra base hits on the season. I'm guessing he will probably have something like that going forward. That the the breakup might be a little bit different. He might have a few more doubles and a few fewer home runs. But I think that power profile is basically real. And uh, I think the hit tool is real. And I think this is kind of what you get going forward. So I think he will repeat it for at least several more years, you know, plus or minus 10%, uh, which is which is good. He's I think the breakout, this is what you want when you get a guy like Louis Sirius and you got it. So um, it, it looks to be real to me. Yeah. And just to give you an idea of where Steamer has him for next year. So this year, uh, Urias hit in 2021. Why am I getting bad numbers here? <laughs> uh, sorry, it, Steamer is projecting him for a 255, 344, 431 line next year, which uh, compares very favorably to this year. It's a little yeah. bit more on sort of all of the fronts. So, yeah, I I don't think that uh, we should be expecting some sort of a collapse, but you never know. Yeah, if it was 28-year-old, it would be more likely that this was a career year and he'd come down. With a 24-year-old, with it's possible that this is where he sits. It's also possible that he gets better. Like, he can also build on this season as a 25, 26-year-old and actually improve. And you got to alter, you got to factor that into your probabilities projecting, too. So, Absolutely. Right. I'm, I'm just glad we can. Yeah, I'm just glad we could uh, end on a positive note and a baseball question so we don't have to sit here and 
wallow in the in the labor rants <laughs> at the end of the podcast here. So uh, thanks, Mark, for the question. A reminder, when you become a patron, either that $2 or $5 level, you get a shout out here on the podcast. And it looks like we have a new patron to welcome this week, Ryan. Who we got? We do. Uh, welcome. And I need to pronounce this very carefully so that everybody can hear me say this. So there's not <laughs> confusion about this. Uh, welcome Flaley Joel Osmet to the fold here. <laughs> I'm sure that is your real name. That sounds entirely real to me. There is no chance that that is some sort of a joke, probably coming from the Discord channel on the Packer side of things. I was going to say, Paul, that this is one of like, yours, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like one of mine. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't say for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks anyway. Flaily Joel, uh, <laughs> reminder uh, patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. If you want to sign up, uh, we would appreciate it. If you do become a patron, we'll give you a shout out here and you get that question priority. We would also appreciate it if you left us a review and a rating for this podcast on Apple podcast or whatever platform you listen to us on. Paul will literally read anything you write in a review. If you give us five stars mm-hmm. last I checked, we didn't have any new ones. So no that new offer ones. still last stands. I would actually really appreciate it if somebody would, because the one where I had to praise Trevor Bauer is still at the top. And if somebody, anybody could knock that out, I would really appreciate that. So please go do that. Yep. So yeah, Apple podcast, five star, leave a review. Paul will read it, whatever it says in there. That's the deal. And while you're there, please do hit that subscribe button on Apple podcasts, Spotify, pocket casts, wherever else you get the podcasts. Uh, We're going to wrap things up here. Uh, this week uh clean and tidy show uh but thank you all for listening we'll join you here next week on the walkies tailgate have a good week everybody